In the 1981 episode, Ron Barassi is back where it all began. The dogs suffer a pre-season setback which impacts their whole season. Hawthorne and North Melbourne start life with new coaches and South spend the season thinking about their future. All this and more coming up after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. Charlie, neither of us have any qualifications <laughs> for this, do we? Absolutely not. No, just a thirst for knowledge. That's it. Reliving yeah. some more glorious times sometimes. And a love of the game. Love of the game. Uh, we are talking about 1981 today, the first half of the first half of teams, the first the bottom the bottom seven, seven yes. Yep. So welcome to 1981, Charlie. Yeah, it's nice to be here. We said last week that we're really in the 80s. It's happening. It's it, exciting. It feels like we are now. It does. Definitely. It does. Um, lots to talk about. Um, also, hello listeners around the world, but uh, specifically Indonesia. Oh, yeah. 17 listeners in Indonesia. Sweden. Sweden like us. Yeah. Uh, Slovakia, Vietnam, New Zealand. Uh, let's get to some news really quickly. Oh, song of the year, I suppose, was uh, Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is one of my favourites. I love that. Great. Yes. Um, so let's get into some news. So let's talk about 19, 1981 to me and great news. First of Feb's big sporting news. Mm-hmm. Trevor Chapel bowled underarm in the final delivery of a game against New Zealand at the MCG. That is big news. The delivery led to the banning of the under- underarm delivery in cricket. Yeah. Huge. I didn't realise it was then. There you go. On the 17th of Feb, a funnel web anti-venom uh, developed over 22 years was used for the first time in Sydney. Okay. Uh, on the 20th of February, we had coroner uh, De- Dennis Barrett found that Azaria Chamberlain was killed by a dingo. So oh. the original inquiry... They sure? Now they are. We've gone do, back we a few do, times. We should do a few more inquiries. I'm not so sure. Well, there was an, an inquiry. The, the uh, results were thrown out later this year in another inquiry. Okay, was, yeah, yes. Uh, in March, we had the Canberra Raiders accepted as the 14th team in the NSWRL for 1982. And also the sin bin rule was introduced in rugby league. The first player to get put in the sin bin was in the Newtown hooker Barry Jensen. Uh, on the 6th of June, uh, we had KB becoming the first player to play 350 VFL games. Which we'll get to. Which we will talk about. Uh, and we will also talk about this in more detail, as we've said. The 29th of July, the VFL board announced that South Melbourne will play 11 games in Sydney in mm. 1982. We, yeah. And we'll get to a whole lot about South Melbourne. Yes, we certainly will. Uh, on the 27th of September, we had the Parramatta Eels defeating the Newtown Jets 20-11 to to win the Premiership in the NSWRL. Uh, it's the first Premiership for the Eels, who'd been trying to win one since 1947. The fans celebrated by burning down the main grandstand. <laughs> uh, it was due to be demolished. I like it. Yeah. Burning man. Yeah. 
on the 3rd of October um, in the Sandful. We had Port Adelaide defeating Glenelg uh, to win their 27th Sandful Premiership. And Russell Ebert, the great Russell Ebert, is, was awarded the inaugural Jack Oti Medal for the best player during the grand final. Uh, on the 3rd of November, we had Just a Dash winning the Melbourne Cup. Uh, on the 12th of November, the federal government declared the can section of the Great Barrier Reef a marine park, which overrode the Queensland government. So we know that that's starting to become Ooh, what it yeah. is. And on the 12th of De- uh, December, there was a referendum held in Tasmania to vote for whether or not the Franklin Dam should be built. Hmm. Uh, 47 voted percent voted for the original proposal, 8% voted for the compromise solution, and 45% voted informally. Okay. So I don't really know what that means. So it's estimated that up to one third of all the votes were just for no dams, which was not a sanctioned option. <coughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, then in our other four big league sports that we like to talk about, we had the NBA championship was won by the Boston Celtics, beating out the Houston Rockets four games to two. Uh, the MLB was won by the Dodgers, the LA Dodgers defeating the Yankees in the World Series. Uh, the... Raiders defeated the Eagles by 27 to 10 uh, in the Super Bowl. So they became the first wild card playoff team to oh, win wow. the Super Bowl yeah, okay. at that time. And in the first division football league, now known as the Premier League, we had Aston Villa finishing four points clear on top. Uh, second was Ipswich Town. That was Aston Villa's first title in 71 years. Yoch, would you like to hear about some Australians that were born in 1981, Timmy? Please. On the 20th of January, we had Brendan Favola. <laughs> the 24th of Feb, Leighton Hewitt. Yeah. Uh, 2nd of April, Michael Clark, the Australian cricket ex-captain. 11th of May, Lauren Jackson. Uh, just retired, Lauren Jackson? Yeah. Yes. Uh, the 20th of May, Wa- Mark Winterbottom, the uh, Bathurst driver. motor racing driver and Bathurst winner. Not, not this most recent one, but has been in the past. 13th of June, Mick Fanning, the surfer. 17th of June, Shane Watson, the cricketer. 24th of July, Doug Bollinger, the cricketer. The 8th of August, we had Vanessa Amorossi, the (laughs) singer-songwriter. 26th of October, Guy Sebastian, our original idol. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2nd of November, Mitchell Johnson, the cricketer. And the 31st of December, the big pav, Matthew Pavlich. Um, excellent. So before we get stuck into the season, um, yep. I'd like to say a thank you to Sam Steele on the Football Almanac who wrote about the 1981 season during lockdown. So I used a lot of his research to help inform today's podcast. Beautiful. Yeah, so very helpful. So some league news and some news around the country. Because it's football season and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. Um, my very favourite bit of news, Charlie. Go on. Is the album Football Favourites was released. Oh, yes, we were talking about this. I'm handing you a copy of yes, my LP. you've just handed LP. me a copy of the, of the LP. Yep. Uh, great. Look at this. Look at this front front cover. All of the... Is it the captains? Uh, no, no. Just, just players. So just players. It is a football album put out by Studio One Records. They were copying an idea that the New South Wales Rugby League did the previous year. Mm. Uh, they had a football player from each team they sing a did. song 
The album was engineered by John French and recorded at Flagstaff Studios in West Melbourne and remixed in Sydney. Hear your football stars sing their favourite hits. Yeah. yeah. That's what it's all uh, about. Vocal production was Gene Pearson and Peter Cuppies. What I thought we might do, we usually, when we introduce a team, we play the theme song. That's it. What I thought we might do is, is play the captain oh, or the, the song, the player, player. singing it... their song. So, yeah, we'll, 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 yeah, you'll hear the amazing vocal... <laughs> the range these players as we go through the teams it's going to be great <laughs> um, cannot wait 1981 the VFL W formed as well with Gemma Griffiths and Leslie Fraser helping to create the league which began in May of 1981 with four teams the Broadmeadow Scorpions the Hallam Cobras Epping Blues and the Princess Hill Dodgers nice. the Scorpions took out the inaugural flag that year fantastic um, in the off-season, the East Perth Football Club from Western Australia made an unliteral bid to sorry, unilateral. made a unilateral bid to join the VFL, potentially as early as 1983. Um, in August of that year, there was an umpire's strike. The umpire oh. set out a whole round of football uh, over contract disputes due to the VFL's refusal to commit to negotiating a collective agreement with the Umpires Association rather than individual agreements with each umpire. Which obviously had come in with the players, right? We, the players had a collective bargaining agreement at this stage, I believe. They, well, they had, the, they had a union. They yes. had the Players Association by this stage. I don't know what the umpires had, though. Probably not. Mm. The VFL hastily arranged for Round 19's matches to be umpired by a team of junior umpires all aged 18 to 22 from the state's minor leagues. There you go. Um, both the Junior Umpires Association and the VFL Umpires Association gave their approval. So there were there was an Umpires Association. The dispute was resolved the following week and the Senior Umpires returned for round 20. Also this year, the state government granted the VFL a once-off permission to trial two Sunday matches in Victoria during the season. <gasps> what? Under these conditions, uh, alcohol was not permitted to be sold at or bought at the games and, the, and couldn't be bought to the games and the games could not be televised. Okay. Two matches were Essendon Collingwood, round eighteen, great choice. South Melbourne Carlton for some reason in round nineteen. Oh, so two matches for the entire season. Yes. I thought you meant two matches per week. No. No, okay, okay. Yeah. Um Round seven was notable for the use of yellow balls for the first time hey. uh, because it was thought to be easier for players and spectators to see on dark and wet days. And finally, the VFL record noted that in the five months of the home and away season, April to August, a whopping 445 mils of rain had fallen on VFL Park. Oof. So quite a muddy season. Yeah. Um, actually, also some other little bits here as well. In January, the, the VFL appointed Graham Huggins to do a study into launching a full-time VFL site in Sydney. That study took five months. Um, when he tabled the report, it recommended immediate expansion. Um, under the Huggins report, Sydney would be controlled by a VFL trust and have a trial period of three years in the league before becoming a full member. So the wheels are in motion. Sydney, it's happening. It's happening. It's, it's very much on its way. And yeah, there's, we, we know it's going to happen, right? Yes. People, well, we, we know we it's going to happen, yeah. but people know it's going to happen. Oh, it, back in 1981, they knew it was going to yeah, happen. Yeah. They did. All right, Charlie, let's go up that ladder. Let's do it. And it pains me to start. Yeah, I thought you might say that. Uh, <laughs> but right down the bottom here, taking out the wooden spoon in 12th place is those not-so-mighty demons. Uh, but it, with one win and 21 losses, but it does give me great uh, pleasure to say these names. Coached by Ronald Dale Barassi and captained by Robert Flower. Indeed. Um, now let's have a quick listen we'll, We will listen to the, the crooning song of Robert Flower Singing Macho Man Popularised by the village people 
Brilliant. So, some debutantes for Melbourne include Dave McGlashan, Robert Allingworth, Glenn Giles, Ian Todd. But the big one I wanted to talk about is Mark Jacko Jackson. Yes. Character. So, orig- originally signed with Richmond uh, and served as captain of their under-19 side in 1978 before he was farmed out to South Fremantle. Uh, where he kicked 53 goals in the 1979 Waffle season. But he walked out on the club and returned to Victoria during the finals when other players, tiring of his antics, have voted him from the team. <laughs> so that doesn't surprise you, does it? No. About Jacko, yeah. Knowing what we know. Um, all right, and as you said, the new coach is Ron Barassi. Yes. Now, before this deal Real was up done... Real up-and-comer. <laughs> yeah, I hear, I hear good things. <laughs> Um, before the deal was done, Barassi sought to prove that there was no hard feelings about his departure after 1964 yep. by putting an ad in the paper seeking the support of fans for his return. Yeah, just making sure that everyone was on board, right, mm. and and wanted this. Um, we got a little excerpt of that to share? Yes, yeah. Uh, so, this was um, posted in the paper, is that right? Yeah. Um, so, it was a message to all Melbourne Football Club supporters. Uh, so, to all past, present, and future supporters of the Melbourne Football Club and any other human being interested in community vitality, achieving, rebuilding, and the beauty of being involved in a group of committed people in zestful, united action, chasing an elusive dream. Great opening paragraph there. A football club has four components players, administration, and staff, coaches, and supporters. While large clubs, for example Collingwood and Carlton, or clubs temporarily down can get up again with perhaps three of these four components firing, it's impossible today for clubs who've been down for a long time, Melbourne is the only VFL club who have not made a final in one and a half decades, to become consistently strong without a top-class effort from all of these four components. As much as my heart may want it, every player wants to coach his old club, I have too much respect for my health and sanity to take on impossible tasks. I don't mind long, hard tasks, but impossible ones, well, that's a different story. Right now, I'm fortunate in being a free agent and could either, one, take a break, attractive, two, wait for the VFL to get their Sydney act together and apply for that coaching job, a very exciting prospect, or three, accept an invitation to coach another club in 1981. Now, it continues on a bit further than that, and it's saying, you know, if you... If you think my uh, motives are incorrect or if you think I'm going too far, I, I take, take it re- this really seriously. I want to have another go at this. But if you want me there, then please uh, fill in the coupon attached yeah. and send it to a forwarding address. So I think he wanted that to be able to go to the club and say, you know, that I do have yeah. the support of yeah. the supporters. But I think I wanted to read that part because I thought it was really interesting that he says things that I think are still thought of today as really important. You need those four components are still the main components. Absolutely. To win a premiership or to be a powerhouse club, you need to have all four things going. It's not just about the cattle on the ground. It's not about what's going on in front of you on the field. It's about all the back house stuff as well. So, yeah, that was really. I thought that was really interesting. So not surprisingly, the long-suffering Melbourne faithful jumped at the opportunity. They were inundated. Of course. Um, one of the new coach's first moves was to employ Australian lightweight, lightweight boxing champion Barry Michael as a sparring partner for the players. Mm-hmm. Um, he, also, them up. he also managed to lure his old mate John Nichols to the club to help as a specialist ruck coach. Ah. And he also had an early edict 
in uh, banning players having beards. Really? Very Norm Smith of him. Yeah, isn't it? Um, in February, the club also sued Carlton over the clearance of Alan Mangles. They claimed that as part of the Greg Wells deal, the Blues had to pay 70000 if Mangles didn't time with the Demons. Eventually, they settled for 35000 which had already been paid, plus clearances for Vin Cataggio and Michael Young. Uh, in March, as well, the first signs of an impending dispute concerning overuse of the MCG saw the MCC request the Demons only train at the ground once a week when winter kicked in. Oh, so this is when the, that relationship starts to fall apart a yeah. little bit. Or oh, we've we've already heard, you know... They've kind of separated already. Yeah, but... Yeah, very protective of that ground. Yeah. Um, until then, the uh, they were allowed to use the ground on Thursday nights only when the weather was fine. Mm. Um, so Yarra Park was the alternative training venue. Barassi lamented the loss of atmosphere training in a park rather than inside the ground itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's not a lot of highlights at Melbourne One this season. One no. win, so which was round three. Oh. Yeah, so they started with two losses. Round three, and here's, here's, the, here's that game. The Dogs shot to a three-goal lead at the first change. They had been given an opportunity to take a bigger lead with a strong wind, and when the Demons got their chance in the second term, they made no, no such mistake, kicking eight goals. Uh, back kicking with the wind against again in the third, the Dogs kicked eight, but inexplicably allowed the Demons four into a strong breeze. The Dogs were out by as much as 29 points early in the last quarter before Melbourne fought back. They chipped away at the lead. Vin Cotaggio missed three set shots while kicking two goals, but approaching the 30-minute mark of the final term, the Dogs were still five points in front and seemed like they'd hold on to win. Then Shane Zantuck roosted a kick from half forward to the goal square where Captain Robbie Flower took a big pack mark in the goal square and he went back to convert the goal and give the Demons a one-point victory. Mark Jacko Jackson kicked eight goals in just his third league game. Sadly, though, this was the only win they had for the season. Mm-hmm. Following their round four loss to St Kilda, Barassi called a tough training session and... Um, and on Sunday morning, they were told that their Easter break had been cancelled and that they'd have to do three laps of the tan. When only six players showed up on time, he told them they'd be back on track again on Easter Monday oh. and forced them to watch the Saints match again before a four-hour punishment session. So he continued to thump the tra- troops on the track throughout the year as the losses kept mounting, like really trying to drive standards. Yeah. But the, he has not got the cattle he had at Carlton or North Melbourne no. at all. And they've been used to being down for so long, so... Standards have dropped. Well, absolutely. Like the fact that you just said that only six of them showed up on, on time, time after being walloped as yeah. well. Like you're not, and you're not out there trying to prove to your new coach that you mm. seems yeah things are not right, are they? No, not at all. Uh, in July, it was revealed that the Demons executives had conducted informal talks with both North Melbourne and South Melbourne about a potential merger. Uh, so this is where all that starts. Yeah. Oh, we're in the 80s now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's really happening. Um, and interesting, that the back line struggled to contain opposition forwards this year and conceded over 150 points six times across the year and held opponents to under 100 points just twice mm. in 22 games. Yeah, let's stop talking about the Ds okay. now. So we only beat the Dogs, uh, and not surprisingly, we'll be talking about them next. Yes. Uh, but... Uh, Mark Jack- Jackson ki- ended up being our highest goal kicker with 76. Not bad in a side that um, is pretty poor at this stage. And the Bluey Truscott Award in 81 went to Steve Smith. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not one to write home about. But there's probably a little bit of, a little bit of hope being like, okay, well, we're down, but we're going to build to something better. Yeah, with Brass is here, setting Brass standards. Here. He's setting standards, he's yeah. doing this stuff. And they got some good young players. Yeah, yeah. Got to so, make, got to make the moves. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, as I just said, moving up to 11th spot, we do have the Bulldogs. Footscray there with two wins, 20 losses, and a percentage of 65.8. So uh, coached by Royce Hart and captained by Jeff Jennings. Their footy favourite song is Calvin Templeton singing Who's Sorry Now? Uh, popularised by Connie Francis. Okay. Who's Sorry Now? Um, some debutantes for the Bulldogs included Stephen Knight, Who's Warren Stanlake, Brian Cordy, father of Ace and Zane. And, Rick and Kevin Seat. Um, however, their season started pretty Who's poorly. They had a March 13th um, escort come against the Demons. And mm-hmm. in the dying moments of that game, Calvin Templeton, Just like reigning Brownlow medalist, yeah. did his and He would be out for much of the season. Oh, no. So not a great start to the season. Right they kicked the it end. off with several uh, five losses in a row. Round three, they didn't even have their Just coach. Like Royce Hart uh, has had an appendix operation in the lead up to round three and couldn't take his spot as a coach, so assistants Frank Good took over and they lost in that game to the D's by a point. Yeah, had your way. Um, round six was their first win. At the Western now, Oval, the Dogs slogged their way to the first win of the year, which was a narrow victory over Essendon. Kevin State had 23 touches Sorry. and two goals. He led the now. way for the Dogs in a seesawing affair. Bill Berry kicked four for the Dogs and he proved a pretty good stand-in for injured Calvin right Templeton. Round 12 is something we've already talked about Just um, like before the match against the Pies at Western Oval. Footscray had Mike Brady at the ground playing on the roof of the grandstand to launch Somehow. a new version of their song, Sons of the Scray. Okay. Um, they followed up with a pretty strong performance yeah, and also upset the Pies. They were leading at three-quarter time but couldn't get the job done. Now, you must Round 13, the Bulldogs took on the Demons and put in a polished performance I'm to beat the Ds by 31 points. Stephen Knight Sorry. was the best on ground with four goals and uh, Shane Loveless kicks six. And then in round 17, which was a loss to the Roos, Ian Dunstan played his 150th game and Kelvin Templeton made his first, he made his return for the season. Actually kicked three goals, which was a pretty decent yeah, comeback. Yeah, a long Sorry. season no. of losses for the Dogs to end. I mean, they only had two wins, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and at the end of the season, Charlie Sutton stepped down as president. Oh. And he'd come in during that interim. Yes. And they'd had all that drama a few seasons back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, so... Jim Edmund was the lead goal kicker at Footscray this year with 25. Same as Shane Loveless, so they both end up with 25. Uh, and the Charlie Sutton medal in 81 went to Ian Dunstan for the second time. Yeah, nice. Uh, so moving on up to 10th spot, we have St Kilda with five wins and 17 losses. Captain coach again by Jezza. Well, yeah. For the most part, <laughs> yeah. Um, the their, their singer is Trevor Barker. Yep. Singing "I Can See Clearly Now," popularised by Jimmy Cliff. Great. <laughs> These song choices are oh, incredible. I, half of them I don't even know. <laughs> uh, all right. Some debutantes include Doug Cox, who's controversial. Gary Odgers, Daryl Hewitt, and here's a, here's a good name for you, Milan Faletic. Milan Faletic. Yeah, I like it. That might be a contender for name of the year. It's got to be up there. Uh, round one, the Saints' hard work in the preseason paid off as they beat the Dogs by 49 points. Recruit Milan Faletic kicked five goals on debut, and uh, new recruit Doug Cox was also pretty strong. Round three, the highlight of a big loss to the Pies was a sensational goal by Jeff Ferring, who launched the talk from the middle of Moravitz, actually behind the, the centre circle. 
Oh, wow. That went through for a goal. The kick was measured at 82 metres. I was going to say, so it had to be above 80. That's yeah. Incredible. Well, I mean, he had the wind behind him, but like... Still? He, yeah. You can watch video of this as well. It's on, he roosted on YouTube. Oh, absolutely roosted it. I think he was pretty angry. I think he something had happened just before, so he just launched it. Yeah, and it just happened to go in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, round four, St Kilda, despite logging a whopping 32 points, including eight straight at the start of the game, were untroubled in downing Melbourne at the MCG. Rover Michael Roberts finished with five goals and defender Grant Thomas was impassable. Um, now, Alex Jeselenko became the final ever playing coach in the VFL-AFL history. He retired as a player after the Kangaroos thumped the Saints in round eight. Now, around this time, there was a protest by Richmond against the eligibility of defender Doug Cox to play for St Kilda. This led to them temporarily losing points for their first two wins. Um, Cox had lived in Richmond's recruitment zone of Mildura for three years, not two like the, the paper said, so they investigated this. Um, Cox had no desire to play for Richmond and he made this known and they said, well, you can rot in the country for all we care. The Tigers tried to blackmail the Saints for two of their players, saying, you know, we'll, we'll drop this if you give us this for yeah, him. Yeah, and they, they said, no. Yeah, took it to court. Um, and this actually was interesting because the next team that St Kilda played was Richmond. Uh-huh, okay. Um, so he was given a... There was a Supreme Court injunction that allowed Cox to play in this game. Yep. And Jezza thought, oh, we'll get Cox to lead the team out, which he did. Um, however, he ended this day in hospital as he was knocked out in the last quarter by Richmond, who recorded a pretty convincing win. In round 11 against the Lions, it was the seasoned Saints players in Trevor Barker and Super Duper Ruzel and Barry Breen who all set a great example for their teammates. They won by 40, um, their first home win of the year, and were given a mini ticker tape parade by supporters as they made their way to the change rooms. Round 14, it was St Kilda's day against the Demons. Uh, Glenn Middlemiss from Geelong played his first match for the Saints and added some much-needed strength at centre-half forward. He kicked three. Uh, Daryl Hewitt, 27 kicks and a goal, and talented forward Con Gorazidis kicked three in a 72-point win against the uh, Demons here. Now, with the Cox issue hanging over them for some time, it took until round 17 for the Saints' eight premiership points to be reinstated and overturned, and the rules kind of got adapted. Yep. Um, but they, their fine of $5,000 remained. Okay. So looking into that earlier. I don't think you wouldn't have been too worried about those premiership points really sucking in them down at this stage, right? No. Uh, in round 22, the Saints were far too strong for the Dogs in the final match of the season. They went goal for goal in the first quarter, but from then on, it was all St Kilda. First year player Grant Thomas was best on ground. Jeff Saru and Michael Roberts were also excellent in that match. Uh, the Saints winning by 49 points. Nice. Uh, so we should, I should mention that after Jezza did stand down, it was Super Duper that took over as captain of the club as there well. There you go. Yeah. Great man. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at St Kilda was Con Gorazidis uh, with 34. The new man, Milan Faletic, just behind him with 31. Uh, the, the best two... <laughs> two names one, there. The one-two yeah, punch. The one-two punch. Love that. And the Trevor Barker Award in 81 went to Trevor Barker for the second time. Um, so that moves us up to ninth spot where we have South Melbourne, uh, coached by Ian Stewart, captained by Barry Round, uh, with eight wins and 14 losses. All right, let's have a listen to Barry Round himself singing Little Genie, written by Elton John, or popularised by Elton John. Um, now, we realise there is a lot going on at South Melbourne here in this season. Yeah. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to talk football here. 
Yep. Um, once we finish the 1981 episode, both parts, we will do a dedicated Sydney, South Melbourne episode. Yep. So you might think we're missing key things here, but we want to... too much to... It yeah. is. There's way too much. So we want to actually dedicate an episode to that. So we know. Yeah. <laughs> um, debutants for South Melbourne include Brett Scott, Silvio Faschini, who is a very important player come uh, some AFL rules shortly. Mm-hmm. Anthony Danaher, Mark Woodsell, Shane Morwood, David Winbanks, Peter Malesio, uh, Kevin Taylor, an Indigenous star from The Waffle, and Dennis Carroll. Tell us a bit about Dennis Carroll. I would love to. So Dennis Carroll was originally from Ganmain, a small town outside Wagga Wagga. Um, he came from a football family. His father, Laurie, played uh, for St Kilda, and his uncle, Tom, played for Carlton. Uh, both in the VFL, of course. He was noted for his skill, determination, strong marking, and superb field kicking with either foot, and was one of the finest Swans players of the 80s. So they had two losses to start the season, but round three at Waverley, they played the Hawks, and the Hawks slammed 10 goals on the board in the second quarter, and things didn't look good. Uh, but just four, and they, but they managed just four after half time, and South Melbourne turned a 33 point deficit into a 22 point win. Teasdale and Tony Moore were starring here for the victors. In round four, in the Swans' loss to the Lions, Graham Teasdale deliberately struck Gary Wilson, who was taken to hospital. He was reported by three umpires and received a five-week suspension. So we'll talk a bit more about this when we get to the Lions next yeah. week. Round five, South had a comfortable win at home against the Dogs in a match described as following in the football record. Neither side distracted the supporters, whose attention was directed at the races, the yachting, or anything else that moved. Such was the standard of the game. <laughs> However, a fine game from Barry Round was one of the few highlights. The Swans had a fighting 10-point win over the Saints in round six with great service from John Roberts who kicked four and Kevin Taylor who also kicked four. In round eight at the Lakeside Oval against the Dees in a game that saw both sides fortune seesaw, it was the seven-goal burst from the Swans that made all the difference. Kevin Taylor kicking four, five and seven right was excellent. However, the whole team kicked 17 goals, 25, very inaccurate kicking. Round nine to 14 saw six consecutive defeats but then they won four in a row. Round 15 against the Dogs at Witten Oval, or Western Oval. The Swans ran it from the first siren, opening up a handy lead in the first quarter and then were never headed. Uh, David Rhys-Jones was excellent and caused the Dogs and umpires of some headaches. Francis Jackson was South Best, who started many attacks from the half-back line. The Swans winning that by 63. Round 16, in what would be South Melbourne's last win at Lakeside Oval, they gave a high-quality performance against the St Kilda side that led 10 goals straight to 3 goals straight early on. Fortisdale took control of the game and the Swans steadied to take the visitors apart to win by 51. I guess there's a bit of uh, poetry in the fact that as the Saints was their final win, their old riders from the Lakeside Pennies. Yeah. Final win at Lakeside Oval, yeah. I like that. Round 17, they played the Pies in Sydney at the SCG front of 22,238 people, which was a little disappointing, I suppose, especially because the Swannies turned it on in the best way for the season. They upset the Pies in a close, high-standard affair, seven players kicking two goals, and Teasdale was excellent in the ruck. Round 18, it was a low-key encounter at the MCG. South Melbourne, led by Graham Teasdale, shook off a persistent Melbourne. David Rhys-Jones and others entertained the crowd with some wrestling and martial arts displays at, at, at intervals. Uh, he and Brent Crosswell both got a four-match suspension. Um, he also, David Rhys-Jones also talks about losing the plot and having a run-in with uh, Crackers Keenan and Melbourne runner Peter Smith. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Swans won that game by 29 points. And in round 22, South Melbourne played their last ever VFL match at Lakeside Oval. 
The cheer squad held up a black banner for the team to run through. Mm. They decided wisely to run around it. Um, but they lost this game by 33 points to the Kangaroos. The last match of its 107-year history as the South, South Melbourne, Melbourne Swans. Mm. Sad. Yeah. But still, you know... Anyway, we'll talk about that. We'll talk yes. all through that. So the lead goal kicker at South Melbourne uh, was John Roberts with 51. Uh, Silvio Bashini second with 37 there. And the Bobby Skilton medal in 1981 went to Barry Round for the second time. Unsurprisingly. No. Uh, so that takes us up the list again to North Melbourne. Uh, with 10 wins and 12 losses, a percentage of 104.1, uh, coached by Malcolm Blight and captained by Wayne Schimmelbush. Indeed. Um, let's hear from Wayne Schimmelbush, actually, singing the song 20 Miles, popularised by Chubby Checker and Ray Brown and also a band called The Whispers. Okay. Um, all right, some debutantes for North Melbourne include Kim Hodgman, Phil Kelly, Peter Spencer, who was the 1976 Sandover medalist, Kevin Maguire, Peter Jonas, Glenn and Dean Dugdale, both sons of John, yeah. and a player we might have heard of, Andrew Demetrio. Yes. Well, a man we might have heard of. Maybe yes. not as a player. Maybe, right? Yeah, probably yeah. not, actually. Uh, so, recruited from Pasco Vale, Demetrio played for North Melbourne as a wingman. Uh, he chaired several companies after his retirement from playing and was appointed CEO of the AFLPA in 1998 and then became CEO of the AFL in 2003. Uh, responsible for a number of changes, including the expansion of the league from 16 to 18 teams and the restructuring of the tribunal system and the brokering of, the two, of two of our latest television television rights. Yeah. But they, they were the ones that went... To really big money, weren't they under Demetrio, I believe. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Mm, so North Melbourne with uh, coach Malcolm Blight started the season well before the ball had even bounced. South Melbourne had a ruck infringement early, giving them the ball to start the whole season with. Fantastic. Um, Shimmel Bush's ruck rover was best on ground as the Roos won by eight goals. Round three, the Stars in North's win over the Cats were a trio of interstate imports, Kim Hodgman, Peter Spencer and Phil Kelly. Hodgman kicked four. As the Roos raced to a 10-goal lead while Phil Kelly shut down Cat McTurner, the Roos held on to win by 27 points. Um, Malcolm Blight returned from injury in round six, so he'd been coaching from the sidelines to help the Roos overcome the Lions. Glenn Denning was best on ground with 16 kicks, 11 marks and four goals. The Roos kicked 27 goals and won by 53 points. Round seven, the Roos were again formidable as they dismantled the Dogs at Waverley. After trailing by 10 points a quarter time, the Roos kicked eight goals in the second quarter and never really looked back. Malcolm Blight kicked eight. However, the shine was taken off by a knee injury to Keith Gregg, which kept him out for the whole season. Mm. Seems to have happened to him. Yeah. It's about the third time that's happened. Yeah, that is, isn't it? Yeah. Hasn't had a good run. Um, in round eight, they had too many stars firing in the round eight match against the Saints. Gary Dempsey dominated the round the ruck to give them drive while their defensive law, Bryant and Ick, stood rock-like. The final margin was 104 points. Round 10, North amassed its best winning margin over any team in its massacre of... The Demons of at Waverley. Course. Kerry Good kicked nine, and the team kicked 25 goals, 22-172 to defeat the Demons by 129 points. Oh, God. Amazingly, this is Ron Barassi's first 100-point-plus first loss. In all the years of his coaching? Yep, after coaching for 356 games, plus another 200 or so as player. So he didn't lose as a he player? He never lost a game by more than 100 points. Wow. 
Well, welcome back to the D's. And the first team he does is his (laughs) ex-team. So this big win over the D's was followed by six straight losses, including their own 100-point shellacking at the hands of the Cats. Their round 14 loss to the Tigers is probably best remembered for Malcolm Blight waltzing into an open goal at the MCG and kicking it through for a behind. So it should be no surprise then that Malcolm Blight was sacked as coach after round 16. Yeah. Making him the last person ever to be a playing coach of the club. So Blight wasn't captain, so Alex Jezelenko is the last captain coach. Yeah, playing coach. Malcolm Blight's the last playing coach. Yeah. Um, he was finding it too hard to make moves and instruct players while he concentrated on the game. Yeah, fair enough. So he was moved. So in came former WA champ Barry Cable to take the reins. Hey, okay. The, another Indigenous coach and, and the last Indigenous coach the league has had. God, that's an indictment, isn't it? Yeah. Round 17, yeah. clearly Malcolm Blight relished his new freedom. He kicked 11 goals, six to guide North Melbourne to a big victory over the Doggies. He kicked six in the last quarter as the Roos finished strongly on the breeze after trailing by 40 points early in the game. But yeah. Yeah. I won't be coach. Yeah, yeah. And isn't that like... Whenever does a coach get sacked but he stays at the team? Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it's it? It's really weird, but I mean, it's obviously worked. Round 18 against the Saints at Arden Street, Malcolm Blight followed up his 11-goal haul with a further eight. <laughs> this time, as new coach Barry Cable guided his charges to two wins from two, beating the Saints by 32 in his first win as at the Roos home ground of Arden Street. Um, but then round 19, Blight injured himself and was out for the season in a loss to the Pies. Mm. Round 20, the highlight in the otherwise forgettable 58-point win over the Ds was a 10-goal haul from Kerry Good. A more than handy stand-in for Malcolm Blight. And as we said before, round 22, in what was ultimately the Kangaroos' last match at Lakeside Oval, they were far too good for the Swans. They had no, the Swans had no answers for Dench and Glenn Denning and Brightus. Brightus actually kicked three goals in the first quarter. Kerry Good kicked five for the match in a 33-point win. Yep. Yeah. So the lead goal kicker at North this year was Blighty with 70th in his 15 games. Mm. So it's very solid. Uh, and the Sid Barker medal in 1981 went to David Dench for the fourth time. And I should also say the first time since 1973 they haven't made the finals. Yeah, I was going to say they've dropped... Yeah, yeah, interesting. Seven straight years of finals. You take it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so taking us up to seventh spot where we have the Tigers sitting. Richmond there with 13 wins and nine losses. Uh, coached by Tony Jewell and captained by Brian Wood. Yeah, new captain. Um, let's listen to David Cloak singing The Letter, popularised by a band called The Box Tops. Great. Love The Box Tops. Uh, debutants for Richmond include Robert Simmons, Daryl Vernon and Jeff Martin. Now, they lost their opening round match. It was a rematch of the... It was a, a match between the two previous premiers. They took on Carlton and lost that quite convincingly. But in the second round, they were far too good for the Swans at Lakeside Oval. Roach kicked nine goals, Bartlett six. But a sour no- note was the report of Jeff Raines, Mick Malthouse and Emma Dunn, although only Dunn would cop some time. He copped a week's suspension. Round three, it seemed that the Bombers had Richmond's measure in, at the MCG, but bit by bit, the Tigers got back in the game. Cloak and Waitman began to, the main two, being the main two. The final margin was four points, uh, only because Phil Carmen of Essendon missed a shot on goal in time on that would have allowed, would have seen them win the game. The Tigers holding on. Round four at Waverley, Richmond's slick teamwork and pace had the Kangaroos covered. The Tigers' small men in Bartlett, Rollings, Reigns and Waitman were far too much for the Kangaroos, who not, so the Tigers won by 29 points. Round five at the G, the Cats inflicted the 
third consecutive loss on the Cats. Um, the Cats' strong defence was led by Malaki, and they managed Malaki managed to keep Roach and Bartlett quiet, but the Tigers still dictated terms through the dominance of Lee, Sarah, Rollings, Wiley, and Wood. Tigers won by 28. Two losses followed, and this sent you know the cloud, the dark clouds are over Tony Jewell now at Richmond. You can't can't be too bad for too long. Yeah, no. Nah. Uh, round 8, a desperate Tony Jewell sent the Tigers out against the Dogs to try anything to stop the rot setting in at Tigerland. After two losses, uh, Mark Lee was dominant in the ruck. Roach kicked seven in a 50-point win. Round 9, we talked about the game against Doug Cox and St Kilda. Um, they won this game by 31 points, but also lost David Cloak with a torn knee ligament. He missed 11 matches. Uh, round 11 was a record-breaking day for the Tigers. Kevin Bartlett was playing his 350th game, the first in the BFL to do so. Yeah, of course. He also starred in this match, kicking three goals in as many minutes to set up the Tigers' win against the Demon side, who had given the Tigers a bit of a run for their money. Final margin was 42 points, KB with five goals. Round 12 at Waverley, Richmond came from behind to beat South. When John Roberts kicked his fifth goal early in the last quarter, the Tigers trailed by 22 points, but surged home with nine goals. Bartlett kicked six. And the move of the ghost Jim Jess to full forward in the last quarter was also decisive, producing three important goals. Round 14 was Francis Burke's 300th and last game. The Tigers embarrassing North Melbourne in this game to the tune of 43 points. Jim Jess kicked five and Wiley four. The Tigers really never troubled after halftime. Round 16, the Tigers had a big win over the Hawks at Princess Park. Um, encountering his first dry ground in weeks, Michael Roach grabbed his opportunity and 11 marks to kick nine goals as the Tigers ran away from the get- with the game after an even first half. In round 17, the Saints did almost everything they could to snatch a draw with the Tigers at Moorabbin. Scores level at the 29-minute mark. Saint Michael Nettlefold grabbed Tiger Paul Sarah around the ankles in uh, down in the forward line, and Sarah was awarded a free kick 30 metres out. The siren went, children flooded onto the ground, and Paul Sarah kicked the winning goal, his fifth of the day. It's always children running out in the ground as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. adults. Kids can't get in trouble. No. Just let them do their thing. Round 18, the... Dogs and the Tigers played in the wind of Waverley, and after the first quarter and a half, the Dogs had played well, but the more experienced Tigers came to the fore. And from the 21-minute mark of the second quarter to the 20-minute mark of the last quarter, the Dogs could only manage four points. The final margin being 34, Roach with seven goals, all but wrapping up the race for the Coleman. Uh, Barry Rollings also had 41 disposables, and Paul Serra played his 150th game. Round 21 at a sparsely populated MCG, Richmond needed to crush bottom place Melbourne to leapfrog Fitzroy into fifth place on percentage and hope everything else fell their way with finals on the line. By halftime, the Tigers had made little ground. They only led the Ds by three goals. And frustratingly, they couldn't press home their advantage conceding late goals to record a limp 17-point win. Mm. Uh, And then Richmond lost their final game of the season. And that was them. Well, they lost their final game of the season to Carlton by 27 points. So then, it's no surprise, well, maybe it is a surprise, Tony Jewell was sacked at the end of September <laughs> Not as Richmond coach a year after winning the flag. Francis Burke was appointed, appointed Richmond coach eight hours later. I, I just don't understand Richmond at this. Like, how are you sacking hey, They've coach? been winning premierships. Yeah, but... Nothing's going to go wrong. Richmond are the team of the 80s, believe me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've yeah, got this. They've got a young great. team. It's going to be great. They'll bring in Francis Burke. He'll be a stable coach for years. He'll probably coach the whole decade. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's hilarious. We laugh. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, So Michael Roach was the Tigers' lead goal kicker this year with 86. 
and the Jack Dyer medal in 1981 went to Jeff Rains for the third time, second time in a row. And that takes us up to our final non-finalists, which were the Hawks, Mighty Hawthorne, with, again, 13 wins and nine losses. It's just a slightly healthier percentage of 109.4. Coached by Alan Jeans and captained by Lee Matthews. Yes, two absolute legends of the game. Yeah. Let's listen to Michael Moncrief singing the song Don't Stand So Close To Me by oh, Sting and the Police. Stop. Debutantes for the Hawks include Paul Considine, Craig Hoyer and Glenn Howard. Now, round one. Life for the They played the Demons and Life for the Ds started actually really well. I should have probably talked about this with the Demons. The Ds kicked the first four goals of the game and actually led the Hawks by 27 points in the round one match. And everyone was like, yes, the Ds are back. They're here. Brassie's worked his magic. He's done it. But the Hawks raced back into the game and they ended up winning by 41 points. Lee Lee was best on ground with 11 goals. Uh, their next win was round four at Windy Hill on Easter Monday. The Hawks set a solid pace all day to down the Bombers by 15 points. Moncrief kicked five. In round five, the Hawks played a brilliant team game to take apart and humiliate the Kangaroos. Colin Robertson ran rings around the north defence with two goals and 25 dis- possessions. The Hawks won by 35 points and coach Malcolm Blight declared it the worst performance ever from a North Melbourne side. That's a Barassi goal. That's a Barassi goal. Uh, then in round six, the Hawks then humiliated the Tigers by 75 points to the MCG. After an even first quarter, the Hawks unleashed the match-winning football in the second quarter, slamming on 8-4 to 1-3. The Hawks' fierce tackling smashed the Tigers' smooth-flowing team game all day. Um, Round eight, the Lions seemed to be on top of the Hawks at Princess Park. However, a devastating last quarter stole the match from the Lions. The Hawks came from behind early in the last. They kicked 10 goals to four to take the game by 29 points. Terry Wallace, the key playmaker for the winners. Round nine, in wet conditions at Western Oval, it was veteran Don Don Scott who helped the Hawks win a slog of a game against the determined Bulldogs side. Colin Robertson also impressive in this 10-point win. Now, round 11, just three weeks after the VFL ground record crowd was set, which we'll talk about next week, yeah. it was again smashed by a monster audience of 93,000 people who turned up to see Hawthorne and Collingwood at Waverley, um, which in turn contributed Waverley, which in turn contributed to a then record aggregate attendance for one round of 231,000 people. Which sounds small. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Collingwood was systematically taken apart by the Hawks by 15 points. Lee Matthews best on ground. However, Don Scotts had been pointedly left on the bench all day by Alan Jeans, with Ian Patton starring. Um, as his teammates celebrated a famous win, Scott's anger was palpable as he muttered through gritted teeth, it's not often you don't need a shower after a game. Um, and there's great footage of this on the internet of the massive traffic jam after this match of yeah, cars trying to get out. Trying to get out. Yeah, yeah it a, it, I watched it last night, it's amazing. Um, round 13, the Swans kept pace with the Hawks in round 13 at Princess Park, and it took until the last quarter brilliance by Lee Matthews to get the Hawks over the line. He finished with three. Peter Murname and Terry Wallace collected nearly 80 possessions between them. Round 15 at Arden Street against the Roos, the mood among home fans matched the weather. After a spirited opening term, the Kangaroos remained goalless in the second and fourth terms and were overwhelmed by the Hawks. Matthews was outstanding in the wet and kicked a round high six goals. In the Hawks' win, round 19 at the Western Oval, the win played havoc. The Hawks set to boost its percentage after a 41-point break in the first term. 
but uh, its forward troubles began from then on. They kicked 7 goals 20 to 12 goals 10 after quarter time. They still won by 21 points, but couldn't boost their percentage the way they wanted to. Did they miss out on the finals by percentage? They No, by a game. A game. Um, Round 20 at Waverley, the Hawks celebrated two big milestones. Don Scott's 300 games and Norm Goss' 200 games. They slogged away to beat the dogged St Kilda by nine points. And round 22, the Hawks' 17th straight win over Melbourne and the milestone of Mel- Michael Tuck's 200th game was celebrated in this round. Games best remembered for the antics of Melbourne's Mark Jacko Jackson playing on Kelvin Moore. Um, highlights available <laughs> on his YouTube highlights package. <laughs> uh, but the Hawks won this game by 53 points. Yeah. Which is about the average losing margin for the D's this year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so... Hawks just missing out there, as we said. We have the lead goal kicker down at Hawthorne being uh, Lee Matthews with 48. Yep. Uh, and the Peter Crimmins medal this year went to Terry Wallace. Yeah, sounds like he had a good game. Yeah, good season. Good season. Uh, so that is the final of our non-finalists, which means we get to talk about the 1981 AFC Night Series. Ooh, the Escort Cup. The, yes. Uh, yeah, the Escort Cup, which is very exciting. So, same format as the last couple of years. We've got more teams in more. there. Well, same amount as last year. Okay. But uh, they have changed a couple of things. So, round one and two are still the qualifying rounds. Round And round three, then, the teams that qualify get to come into the main draw to meet everyone else. Yep. The difference that they made was that the state teams split into their own groups for qualifying so you so you could just pl- stay at home yeah, and, okay, that quali- makes more sense. and then qualify to come into the main draw. Because no one's going to watch East Fremantle versus Canberra. No, in Melbourne. No. Yeah, exactly. So I'll just get... I won't talk about those qualifying rounds. I'll talk about who actually did qualify and got into the main draw. So talking about the main draw where it becomes a straight knockout point and the matchups are random yeah. now. So from the VFL, um, we had the teams that finished one to uh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, we had teams one to six from the nineteen eighty season. Yep. So it was Richmond, Collingwood, Geelong, Carlton, North Melbourne, and South uh, joined the competition there, and they were joined by the four teams that survived qualifying, which were Essendon, Hawthorne, Melbourne, and Footscray. So the only two teams that aren't there are St Kilda and... Um, Fitzroy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then from the Sanford, we had the three three teams advancing from qualifying were South Adelaide, Port Adelaide, and West Adelaide. And from the Waffle, the three teams that advanced from qualifying were East Perth, West Perth and East Freo. Yeah. Uh, so, let's talk about those games. So we've got South Adelaide versus Geelong uh, as our first game. Geelong won that game. Uh, Melbourne versus Richmond. Richmond beat the D's unsurprisingly. Yep. North Melbourne beat West Perth. 55 to 133. South Melbourne beat West Adelaide. 115 to 54. Essendon beat Port Adelaide. 107 to 58. Collingwood beat East Perth 138 to 40. Uh, Hawthorne beat East Fremantle 112 to 34. And Carlton beat Footscray 67 to 60. So all of the non VFL teams mm-hmm. got knocked out in the, in the first main draw yeah. qualifying. 
So from here on, it's just the VFL night series. Just the VFL night series. All of those games were played at Waverley on a Tuesday night as well, I should have said. Yeah. Uh, so in those quarterfinals, we had Geelong versus South. Geelong, uh, South Melbourne beat them. Uh, Essendon beat Hawthorne. Carlton beat Richmond. And North Melbourne beat Collingwood. So in the, the semis, we had Essendon and South. Uh, Essendon absolutely trounced South, 88 to 33. And Carlton convincingly beat North Melbourne also 72 to 30. So the grand final was Essendon versus Carlton. Two mm. teams that really love each other. Uh, we don't. Uh, no, not at all. And Carlton came out of the blocks a lot stronger. Kicked two in the first quarter uh, and two in the second quarter to Essendon's one goal for the entire half. Wow. Uh, but then Essendon managed to turn it on and in front of 42,269 people came home with a wet sail and managed to kick eight goals in the second half to uh, Carlton's two goals in the second half. 9-11-65 beating Carlton's uh, 6-5-41. I think the, the highlight of the image that comes from this game is Timmy Watson jumping over... Getting winning the ball and jumping over some players to run in. And kick yes, the goal. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is the the baby bombers. It is. Yeah, but it's the baby bombers being coached by Kevin Sheedy. Yes, yeah, exactly. Which we'll we'll get much, to much more next week. No, absolutely. Um, so the, yeah, so they were absolutely the underdogs going into that game, and as you said, yeah, uh, that epic leap over the pack followed by a, a running goal was yeah, the highlight, yeah, real highlight. A um, couple of things to mention about it. Notable events. We had uh, Cowboy Neil, the former St Kilda champion. He's in Canberra now, isn't he? Playing for West Adelaide at this stage. Oh, West Adelaide, okay. Had a day out during the qualifying in the qualifying round, so good to see. Um, oh, no, sorry, you're right. Cowboy Neil was playing for the ACT. Um, uh, he kicked seven goals in their win over Tasmania, yeah. which is great. Um the lead goal kicker of the series was Luders from uh, who am I saying? Uh, from West Adelaide. Uh, Roger Luders from West Adelaide kicked 19 goals in his three games, followed closely by Cowboy Neal with 17 from his three games. So Carlton's Peter Pazusto was third with 11 goals from yeah. his four games, though. And yeah, that's about it to say about the night series. Right. It's a, I mean, I don't know. I'm getting, it's a bit like, oh, let, let's come and see how good the VFL are now. Well, it's definitely part of their play for expansion. Yeah. And and because they're controlling this whole national narrative then. And they're making these teams come to play at Waverley. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's a big it's power not surprising. Play. And they're the only teams that have are getting directly into the main draw are VFL teams. Yeah. So, so yeah. how long is this going to last for? That's the question. Isn't that it? is the question. How and long we'll until see. the rest of the country go? What the hell's the point? In this yeah, getting no. smashed every time. Exactly. Because we know it's coming. We know they're going to go. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. So there's the beginning of the 1981 season, Timmy. It is. What's happening? I'm um, looking forward to talking about our finalists, though, because that's where the good stuff oh, really yeah. starts to yeah. happen. Yeah. There's some good juicy bits there. Don't it's you worry. A, can we not talk anymore about how these teams just trump Melbourne every week? We'll see. We don't need to just be there as a percentage booster. <laughs> it's not nice. Uh, but beautiful. Well, until next time, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. 
You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.